Well, good morning. My name is Jeannie, for those of you that I, I haven't met. And uh, as Jarrett said, today is Palm Sunday, and, uh, and it's a celebration. And um, we live in a city, uh, Chicago, that loves to celebrate, don't we? Uh, I'm not sure if you grew up around here. Uh, I, I did. Uh, but many people say that Chicago not only has the best sports teams in the world, um, but more importantly, they have the best fans in all the world. Um, this is what we're known for. I figured this might be a place where amens would start. Um, I grew up in Chicago, as I said, and not only did I grow up in Chicago, my dad, uh, he grew up here as well. And so my dad, early on in my life, he heeded the counsel of Proverbs 22.6, which states, start children off on the way that they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. And so my dad, he heeded this counsel. And so at a very young age, he essentially trained me uh, into which teams I was allowed to cheer for. And so when it came to football, there was no question. Uh, right away, I was told I was a Bears fan. Um, I didn't have an option. I was just told, you're a Bears fan. This is who you cheer for if you are going to be in our family. And um, when it came to basketball, same thing. There was not an option. I was right away. I was a Bulls fan. Yeah, exactly. Now, we weren't like a huge hockey family, but my dad basically said, listen, if you want to follow hockey, you have one team that you can cheer for. It is the Blackhawks. And so, you know, th these were the ways that I was instructed in how to live. Now, when it comes to baseball, when it comes to baseball, it's a different story in this town. And there are two teams. There are two teams. And here's what I'll say about that. One team is good, and one team is not. And uh, I'm already feeling the tension rising. See, my dad, my dad, he grew up on the south side of Chicago. So when it came to baseball, I was only allowed to cheer for the White Sox. Uh, this, this is what was allowed in my family. I know that there are people that are trying to leave our church as I'm speaking right now because you are a, you are a devout Cubs fan. Uh, now there are others in this room that, yeah, okay, okay. And the Sox fans in this room know that God's going to speak here today. Um, now, um, I, I had this crazy situation happen to me when I was in high school. Uh, I actually used to sing the national anthem uh, at my high school before all the like sporting events. And this crazy situation happened where I actually was invited to go and sing the national anthem at Wrigley Field. And I will never forget, I will never forget when I was invited. I mean, I was so excited. I, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is an unbelievable opportunity. I can't believe I get to sing the national anthem at Wrigley Field. And I was so excited to tell my parents about it. And so, of course, my mom, she was like, oh, honey, this is so amazing. This is so incredible. And I went to my dad and told him, dad, I was invited to sing the national anthem at Wrigley Field. And he literally turned to me and said, what did you say? <laughs> I was like, I said yes. Of course I said yes. And, and his response was like, oh, man, Jeannie, I don't know if I can go. <laughs> and now, of course, of course, he, he went. He was a good father. Um, but he showed up in his White Sox hat, 
in his White Sox jersey. I mean, he was a true fan through and through. He had no problems letting people know uh, where his loyalty uh, was. But, uh, you know, he was, he was a real fan. And if you've ever been around real fans, I mean, they love their team, don't they? They are with their team when their team is winning, and they are with their team when their team is losing. And real fans, they are, they, I mean, they are faithful. They are loyal. And real fans, you know the one thing that they can't stand? They can't stand fair-weather fans, Right? I mean, a real, true, loyal fan when somebody comes along and the team's doing good and they're like, I've always loved the White Sox. You're like, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Um, it's as if they can sniff out, you know, who's a real fan and who isn't. And we live in a culture, don't we? We live in a culture where fans have a lot of power. And on this day in history, Jesus, Jesus had a lot of fans, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus, if he had Facebook, he'd have a lot of likes, okay? And you may or may not know this. Um, as Jarrett said, it, it, it's Palm Sunday. And each of the, the four Gospels uh, in the Scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record this day. And, and basically, as, as Jarrett was saying, it's the start of Passion Week. And, and this day is often referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the week, it sort of, it begins with this big exclamation. And and the week, of course, it ends on Easter with a big exclamation. But there is an abundance of emotions that happen throughout this week. And the Passion Week journey for Jesus is ultimately what gives us hope and what gives us life. But the Passion Week journey of Jesus' fans It's actually, it's a fascinating one. It's a fascinating one to watch. You see, on this day, Palm Sunday, the fans, they were with Jesus. They were with him. They were for him. They were in his corner. And we're going to look at this story today and see what happened. What happened throughout the week. And so there should be a Bible around you. I'd love for you to grab it. It should be in the seat back in front of you or it might be on the floor. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's found on page 733. And I want to give you, uh, it's Luke 19. I want to give you a little bit of context before we actually dive into this passage. You see, Jesus, he had recently just raised Lazarus. He had literally raised Lazarus from the dead. So the crowds, they, they really, they started talking. And the buzz, the buzz on Jesus was swelling. And on this actual day in history, it's, it's actually not referred to. The, the actual day, it's not referred to as Palm Sunday. But in fact, it was known as Lamb Selection Day. You see, this was the day that Jewish families would actually choose the lamb that they would sacrifice during the Passover celebration. It it had been literally a Jewish tradition since the days of Moses. And you remember when Jesus himself actually chose to be baptized. His cousin John baptized him. And you know when Jesus came into the water, you you know how John announced him? He said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this, this was Lamb Selection Day. 
Jesus is making quite a deliberate statement on this day. He's basically declaring, I am, I am that perfect lamb of God. I am that one who can settle the tab of sin for all the world. And so we're going to look at this story together today. As I said, it's, it's found in Luke 19. And basically, it says this. As he, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, I I love this moment in the passage because it's literally like Jesus gets all Jedi on people, right? You know, I mean, he's like, just tell them the Lord needs it, you know? And, And it goes on in verse 32, and it says, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They declared, the Lord needs it. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And this is an amazing, amazing moment here. Because Jesus, right, the, the true king is about to enter Jerusalem. Now, this isn't the first time that he's been there. He's done ministry there before. But this, this moment is different. I mean, this moment, he's actually intentionally declaring that he is, in fact, the son of God. And he chooses a colt. He chooses a colt to ride in on. Some, some of the gospel accounts actually say that it was this young donkey. And here's this, this grown man. Here's Jesus, the son of God. The true king, the Messiah, the one that everyone has been waiting for. I mean, he he should have come in on on a horse. There should have been chariots, right? And he chooses a donkey. He chooses a young colt. And even Jesus, in this moment, he reveals his humility he, believe, he, he reveals and, and shows us the kind of king that he truly is. The, the passage goes on in, in verse 36, and it says, As he went along, people, they literally, they spread their cloaks on the ground. So literally, people, they just started taking off their coats and just spreading them down on the ground as Jesus began to rode, ride by on this, on this donkey. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. You see, they had seen what Jesus has done. Many of them had just heard about the news that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave. And literally, they start saying out loud, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And, and while this crowd was gathering and they were laying down their, their cloaks, there were some Pharisees in the crowd and they literally, they, they spoke up and they said, teacher, rebuke these disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will even cry out. So there is just this party happening in Jerusalem. 
There's a party happening in Jerusalem. The other gospels literally say that people started like looking around and they started cutting down palm branches. They literally started cutting down these palm branches and they started waving them as Jesus literally rode by on this colt. They thought that their long-awaited king had finally come. And in many ways, the people felt like they would finally be free from Rome. It was almost like they were more a a political rally. Like finally, finally, we're not going to have to go through what we've gone through before. Finally, the true king has come. And, And they started chanting. They started chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And and Hosanna literally is this expression of praise. It's this expression of joy. And and Hosanna is literally translated to me, save us. Save us. Please save us. It was like this revolutionary cry. And any Jew that, that had grown up studying the scriptures or reading the Torah, they knew that this term, Hosanna, that it was only to be used for the one true God. That, that you should never use this term Hosanna, this expression of, of praise and joy to anyone but the one true God. So in their chants and in their cries, there's this acknowledgement that Jesus is in fact the king. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they have been waiting on. And so you sort of picture what's going on in Jerusalem, right? I mean, Jesus was the star of Jerusalem that day, wasn't he? And and the cover stories and the headlines, they were glowing. The fans, they were with Jesus. But things took a turn that week. And Jesus began to be questioned by the authorities. One of his own disciples betrayed him sold him out for money. When he invited his disciples to to come and to stay with him and to to pray with him, they fell asleep. One of his closest friends denied that he even knew him three different times. Jesus was eventually tried. He was sentenced. He was physically abused. He carried a cross that he was then nailed to, and he died a brutal death in front of a crowd of people that hated him. And then he was put in a grave. I mean, his once cheering, loyal fans, the people that were were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, they became fair-weathered fans at best, didn't they? And at worst, they became his enemy. And the very people that handed him over to his death. I mean, how could they move that quickly in their loyalty, right? It makes you wonder, what is it within a person that one day they can be shouting Hosanna and just a few days later they can say crucify him? You know, I, I, try, I try and imagine myself and I try and imagine If I was on those streets of Jerusalem and if I was watching Jesus ride in on that colt, I try to picture myself 
trying to get up through the crowd so that I can, I can get a glimpse of the Messiah. And I can't imagine what it must have felt like to actually see him with my own eyes, to actually cry out to him with my own voice, to actually say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I can, I can picture it. I love God with all of my heart. I can, I can picture myself there. But if I'm being honest, I don't want to picture myself in any of the other scenes throughout the rest of the week. Because I don't want to believe that I have that same potential in me. I have that same potential in me to betray I have that same potential to deny. I have that same potential to abandon Jesus in his darkest hour. But the truth is, I do. And the truth is, so do you. So do you. You see, it's easy, it's very easy to be a fan of God when God is faithful, right? It's easy. It is easy to raise your hand and say, I am a fan of God when we experience his faithfulness. It's easy to be a fan of God when he answers a prayer the way that we want him to. It's easy to be a fan of God when our relational world is all as we would want it to be. It's easy to be a fan when life is good, isn't it? It's when it isn't. It's when it isn't. That's when what we really believe about God is revealed. When life deals you a card that you never went looking for. When the pregnancy test is still negative. When the job is given to somebody else. When the bank account is empty. When the phone rings in the middle of the night. And it's that call that you thought, how could this be happening to me? You see, that's the moment. That's the moment when we know whether we're a real fan or not. That's the moment when our true heart about God is revealed. And Jesus, Jesus isn't even really looking for fans. He's not looking for fans. He's not interested in likes. He's looking for faith-filled followers. And it's in the loss and it's in the questions and it's in the doubts, and it's in the grief, and it's in the disappointment. That's when faith, true faith, is revealed, and real followers of Jesus emerge. And I've seen, I've seen in my life, and I've seen in the life of, of so many others, how often I, how often we, just sort of 
depend on favorable circumstances, don't we? We depend on good faith. We depend on a marriage to last. We depend on a nice home. We depend on on meaningful work that we love. We depend on, on close friendships. But the curriculum, the curriculum that has been my finest educator on true faith and that has actually turned me into a real, a real Jesus follower is when I've been at the bottom when I have been at the absolute bottom. And somehow, somehow, only through God's grace, there is still hope. There's still hope. And all of those things, all of those things, we'll just, we'll call them pain. All of those things They force us to see the dominant role our environment plays in determining our happiness. Pain has this ability to literally stop us, to stop us in our tracks from relying on props for our well-being. Pain has this ability to literally knock us off our feet, to put us on our back, and we come to the end of ourselves. But in the coming to the end of ourselves, we literally come to the beginning of a vital relationship with God. That's what God does. And my dad, um, this real White Sox fan, this true White Sox fan. Very suddenly, eight years ago, when he was 59 years old, died. Totally unexpected. It was one of those phone calls that I received that I I never saw coming. The kind of phone call that changes your life forever. And for me... My dad was my biggest fan. He was my biggest fan. He was always in my corner. He was always cheering me on. And I remember everything. I remember everything about that day. I remember everything about those days following. It's as if they're frozen in time for me. And there's one moment in particular that stands out in my mind, and I I go back to it often. I remember standing in my bathroom. It was the morning of his funeral. And we didn't have any kids yet, and the house was really quiet. And I remember standing in my bathroom knowing that I was going to go to his funeral, and my mom, my sweet, wonderful, amazing mom, said, you know your dad would want you to speak, and he would even want you to sing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, how am I going to do that? And so I was thinking about, you know, what, what is it that I'm going to say today? God, how are you, you going to give me this kind of strength? And I remember I was putting on my makeup. And I remember looking in the mirror so clearly and saying, God, I am so mad. I'm so mad that I am putting on makeup to go to my dad's funeral. 
I don't want to put on makeup to go to my dad's funeral today, God. And, and God, I, I know. I know that you're good. And I'm even sort of mad that you're good. Because I know that you love me. I know that you're, you're heartbroken with me right now. I know that you are actually, you're going to change me through this. God, I know that you are going to use this pain in my life. I know that I am going to be more mature. I'm actually going to probably produce more fruit. I'm going to be more faith-filled through this, God. But that's not what I want today, God. What I want today is I want my dad. I want my dad. You see, the pain, it was so high and the loss was so deep. And I remember so clearly in that moment, so clearly in that moment, just looking in that mirror thinking, I love you, God, with all of my heart, but I am really tempted to just be one of your fair weather fans. I'm so tempted to just sort of love you when life is good and to not be all that interested in you when life is hard. And we live in a culture. We live in a culture filled with fair weather fans, don't we? We live with a, with a church community, the, the big C church community, with all sorts of Christians that are just fair weather Christians. And here's, here's the good news for us today. Jesus did not just die for real fans. He didn't just die for fair weather fans. He died for all people. No matter where they're at, for all people, real people, real people who he knows and who he loves, real people, real people that are hurting real people that have been hopeless, real people that are discouraged, real people that are dismayed, real people that deep down inside want to be faith-filled followers of him. And the amazing thing about Jesus, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he loves every person. He loves every single person that cried out in the top of their lungs, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He loves every single one of those people just as much as he loves every single person that said crucify him. He loves them and he loves you. He loves you. And some of you this morning, you are in a great season. You are in a great season. And saying Hosanna, it seems natural. There's joy bubbling over in your life. And what I would say to you today is lend us your faith. Lend us your faith. Lend us your hope today. In a moment when we worship, raise your hands even higher. Let your voice be even louder today. Some of you have so much, so much to be grateful for. The blessings in your life are literally overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. And we should hear you more than we hear the band up here today. Let your voice 
echo and sing as we sing to God and as we praise him. But I also know that there are some, there are some of you, and you feel like you just have nothing, nothing left to give. You're tired and you're overwhelmed. And maybe that's exactly, exactly what you need to bring to Jesus today so that he can fill that emptiness up. Some of you, you have chosen disappointment as a lifestyle. And you sort of just sort of sidestep and walk through life ever so carefully. You sidestep excitement because you fear nothing good could happen to me, so I'm just going to stay back here. And maybe today, today is the day that you say, I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper. I'm going to ask God to turn this self-preservation into faith. Some of you, some of you are experiencing loneliness. You are in deep, deep need of sharing your life, of sharing what's going on in your heart with a friend, with a person that loves you. And and there's a certain part of you that, that stays closed up and you stay inside of yourself. And when people ask, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? You just automatically, you know, give your answer that you normally give. I'm fine. I'm good. But in fact, there's a loneliness and there's a deep desire to be seen and to be known. You know, I'm going to even shamelessly say, um, and I really do mean this is, this is a shameless plug right now. So the ladies in the room, we're going to have a women's weekend here at the church, April 19th and 20th. And I mean this, this is a shameless plug right now. I want to see every single woman in this church come. Every single woman. Because God did not design us for loneliness. He did not design us for isolation. He designed us to live life together. And ladies, you need to come. You need to be a part of this. Men, you're not designed for isolation either, but you can't come. (laughs) You need to sign up. You You need to be a part of this, ladies. Some of you this morning... You're in the middle of a season that you did not see coming. I prayed with a, a couple this morning who just this week gave birth to their son. A healthy pregnancy all along. And that little boy is in an ICU unit right now. And there are some people in this room here this morning and you're dealing with a loss or an unexpected illness. You've received one of those phone calls. There's a disappointment, a sadness, and you're tired and you're scared, and there's parts of you that are confused, and my encouragement to you today, my encouragement to you today from God himself is do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. Because hope, hope is not the absence of sorrow. It is okay to experience sorrow. Jesus himself experienced sorrow. But don't lose hope. Because it is a refusal. 
It is a refusal to allow powerlessness to silence our cry or to shake our confidence in God. Don't lose hope. In this passage, this passage that we looked at here today, this story of Palm Sunday, it is, it's basically a story about expectations and disappointments. It's a story about the people. It's a story about Jesus' fans. You see, what they wanted was they wanted a king. They wanted a king, didn't they? They wanted a king that would relieve their temporary hardship. And when that didn't happen, they felt betrayed. They didn't, they didn't get their way. It didn't go the way that they saw the story should go. And, and so what they ended up doing was they ended up calling for Jesus' crucifixion just a few days later. But the problem is, is they couldn't see the whole story. They couldn't see that they did, in fact, they did, in fact, get a king, didn't they? They got King Jesus. They did get a king. They got King Jesus, the the greatest king, the only king, the one true king, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what they got that day. And this is the part of the message where I'm going to channel every single inner preacher that lives inside of me, and you are going to channel the fact that you are an amening church, an mm-hmming church, because you know what they got that day? You know what they got that day? They got the Alpha and the Omega. That's what they got. They got the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. They got the Mighty Counselor. They got the savior of the world. They got the one who heals. They got the one who forgives. They got the one who brings life. Where are your amens, friends? They got the one who is the good shepherd. They got the mighty God. They got the everlasting father. They got Jesus. That is who they got that day, and that is who we get today. We get Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords who laid down his life for you. And that is who we say Hosanna to. Glory to God in the highest. And so whether it's easy for you to sing out today or difficult, you have Jesus. You have Jesus. And he loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. And he's not looking for you to be a fan. He's looking for you to be a faith-filled follower. When it's easy and when it's hard. And so Jesus, that's who we sing to today. That is who we praise today. That is who we put our hope in today. We want to be those faith-filled followers. We want our praises to literally stir so deep inside of us, God, that it echoes throughout this city. God, we, we literally want, we want to worship you with so much joy and exaltation that there is not a stone that is capable of crying out. And Jesus, for those in this room, whose hearts are filled 
And there are blessings upon blessings. There are 10,000 reasons for them to say thank you. God, I pray that they would lift their hands higher. I pray that they would lift their voice louder. I pray that they would join in, join in the, the heavenly chorus that says to you today, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And for those of us in this room here today, and our hearts are heavy. And we are walking through pain and there's desperation. God, I pray that you would, you would literally reach down. That you would touch us. That you would heal our hearts. That you would give us strength to rise up to rise up like eagles, to walk and to not faint. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in this space right now, that our worship would literally reverberate into heaven and all throughout this city. Oh God, break, break our hearts for the things that your heart is broken for. Change us and transform us, God. May we be the, the kinds of people that in all things, in all things, say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. Amen.